Oh, you know it, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. It is time once again for that show that we call We Go The Steelers Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. I am one host of this show. My other half, my best half here for this show. No, he's not my beautiful wife, but he is my uh, podcast buddy, Kevin Smith. What is going on, KT, the coach of the Ocean City Red Raiders in Ocean City, New Jersey. Three-time champions under Kevin Smith. Uh, I'm doing great, Bri. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's Super Bowl week. So I, I, want, I wanted to hit you with a, a Super Bowl question uh, out of the gate. So are you among that, that camp of Steelers fans who does not want to see the 49ers win so that they tie the Steelers? Uh, and the Patriots with six Super Bowl champions. Are you rooting for Kansas City because of that? Absolutely not. And I really don't even know who I'm rooting for yet. I have not decided. But it's not because of that. That is the least of my concerns. And I will tell you why. Because this came up 10 years ago. And it irked me to no end. And I will tell you absolutely why. How could you, as a Steeler fan, I'm sure there's people that can, but I know I can never root for the Baltimore Ravens. I watched that game until the very end, but I did not watch any celebrating, and I still have not seen a shred of purple confetti from that game. I didn't see the post-game handshake. I have never missed a post-game, even when the Steelers lost. I have not missed the post-game celebration, but I would not watch the Baltimore Ravens, and I cannot root against a team for that. As far as six goes, it's been tied. The Patriots tied it, and that's that's on the Steelers. If the Steelers are to get to seven, it's because they get to seven. They can't help the fact that somebody ties them yeah, they can help it. Go and win another one and build towards it. But I, don't, I have no problem if they get passed up, if they have company. I'm sure they're going to get back there and they'll have that opportunity. But you can't control it. And I'm not worried about that record because when you keep on thinking of how many Super Bowls there have been, and this is Super Bowl 58. I hope I'm correct on that, right? <laughs> that is correct. All right. This is Super Bowl 58. And the two best teams to ever win Super Bowls have only won six of them. So what is that? 11%? And that is the tops. So, hey, I I don't care about anybody else joining them on top of the mountain. Because, really, when you look at it, the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay Packer fans don't count three championships. They count championships that are not Super Bowl winning Johns. So, yes, I know I went a little long on that, but I'm very passionate when it comes to that. Uh, you never, the only time you root for a team that you hate is when it benefits the Pittsburgh Steelers to get into the playoffs, when they need that. It's the only time you're seeing me root for the Ravens, and I feel dirty when I have to do it. I feel dirty when I have to root for the Bengals. I feel dirtier when I have to root for the Patriots and the Browns. But that's what I have to do. With the Super Bowl, it's all about the team that I want to see win. Right now, I think it is the 49ers. 
I love McCaffrey. I there's a lot about that team that I absolutely love. Greenlaw, guys like that. You know, they, that's a team that that I admire. I like how they're coached, like everything. But I'll also tell you this. When I was rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs last week against Baltimore, I realized that that team on offense has two guys. And there's a lot you can say about Travis Kelsey. You have a lot that you can say about Patrick Mahomes. But man, they looked really good and they looked like true champions. And I respected that. And I have one more thing to say, KT. I think Taylor Swift is good for the game. I have hmm. no problem with that. People get all bent out of shape because they're showing somebody. Back in our day, the the big divas at the time were Madonna and Whitney Houston. And I tell you what, they did not hold a candle to the integrity that this woman actually has. So if we're rooting against the Chiefs because of Taylor Swift, then wow. I mean, that's... That's your prerogative. I just, I think there's a lot worse things in the world to worry about than this 33 year old singer who's positive on society. Yeah, man, I, I didn't, I don't have that many thoughts on the game to be quite honest with you, but, uh, <laughs> but I agree with you. I don't, I don't root against San Francisco because they could potentially tie the Steelers six Super Bowl wins. Uh, I mean, I, I'm probably pretty, I'm, I'm really impartial with this game. I, I like you. I, I like Christian McCaffrey a lot. On the other side, I like Andy Reid a lot. I'm probably pulling for the Chiefs because just, yeah, just rooting for the local guy again, Isaiah Pacheco, the guy I coached against and uh, has done some really great things for, for people in this area. So obviously I think that local connection probably gets me leaning towards the chiefs, but I, I, more than anything else, I'm just rooting for a great game. I mean, there's nothing like a great super bowl when a super bowl is coming down to the wire. Uh, there's something special about that last year. I was telling you before the show, I always have a big super bowl party, invite a lot of friends. That's been a tradition of, of ours for a while. And last year it was the Eagles. And, and, you know, most of our friends here are Eagles fans. And as that game was unfolding, it was pretty awesome to watch them ride the ride the wave, man. It's so much easier when your team is not in it to actually enjoy the game because they were living and dying on every play. And I could be like, yeah, I'm going to get a drink. I'm going to get something to eat. I got to go to the bathroom, whatever. You know, I could go come and go pretty freely because I didn't have that emotional investment. They were like, they were doing the superstitious stuff. Nobody switch seats. If anybody gets up, I'm going to kick your ass. You know, they're doing all that stuff. So, <laughs> you know, like. So, I mean, it just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome event. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that the next day should be a national holiday. That Monday, <laughs> Super Bowl Monday, should be a national holiday. Or they should have I'm it on Saturday night. Just, just have it on Saturday night. Yeah, I don't, I that was that actually my next question for you. I, look, I would have, I would love it if they moved it to Saturday night. And I don't think that ruins the integrity of the game. You know, know, you know what, uh, you know, something that sucks more than anything. And I've seen it so many and you've seen it. We all have kids and everything, but I've had Super Bowl parties for years. And when you turn around and everybody's leaving in the halftime because the kids have school the next day and I get it. I, I wasn't like my kids are staying up because it's this is the national holiday or we took two cars because <laughs> I'm not leaving the Super Bowl because this is this is the game. 
But, you know, it's just one of those things for me that I don't think it would ruin the integrity or the party of the game if it was on, if it was Super Bowl Saturday. Yeah, I just people people have said, oh well, the bars and the restaurants would lose too much money because everybody stays home to watch the game. And I think the bars and restaurants would be, I mean, they'd be going crazy. Be uh, I, I don't think that's a consideration. I I don't know. I just feel as though the NFL to start that game at six thirty on a Sunday feels like you're doing a bit of an injustice to the public. <laughs> may, you know what I want? A little dramatic, but I I want this, and I think they did it like way back in the forties. And they can't, and I know they can't. There's so many reasons they cannot do this, but I want the consolation game. So I want to see Baltimore play Detroit. Or if you want to do it, you want to do safety sake, you do Baltimore and Detroit on Super Bowl Sunday in a flag football game. I mean, there'd be there'd be some uh, some interest in that for sure. You I could, would you love could... it. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if the players would be excited about it, but I, the coaches certainly wouldn't, but I think the fans would have interest. I would love a, I would love a consolation game. I would like a real slobber knocker consolation game, but then you'd have everybody sitting out. Yeah, it would be, it'd be like a bowl game for sure. Yeah. Let's go on. Let's move on and talk about our Pittsburgh Steelers. They are not in the Super Bowl, but there was a move made this week that could put them in the mix for it. But there's a lot of people in Steeler Nation that disagree that this was the move to be made. And it is Kevin's brother, Arthur Smith. I wish he was my brother. His father's a multi-billionaire. <laughs> my dad worked for FedEx. Oh, really? So, yeah. Okay. So I, I've known about Fred Smith for years, Okay, actually. But I did not know that until this week about Arthur Smith. But let, let's talk about this, because here's a move right now, Kevin, that if you go to the Senior Bowl, if you go to the Pro Bowl, all the talk is that the Pittsburgh Steelers made a brilliant move bringing in Arthur Smith. They love this move. National media, coaches, everything, everybody, they love this move. But inside the 412 and the 724, I'm not that way. So, Kevin, this is your chance, a coach's perspective, why Arthur Smith is the right hire for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. Okay. So, all right, Steeler fans, I'm going to talk you off the ledge right here because I too, I too was, I, I can't, I was not disappointed when they announced this hire, but I was, I probably had the same concern that many of the people who are not thrilled about him being hired have. And that concern is, that Arthur Smith didn't do a great job of developing Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. And when you look at the offseason needs for the Steelers, the absolute number one need is for them to bring in somebody who can do that for Kenny Pickett. And so there are some other names out there that maybe you thought, hey, like, you know, Clint Kubiak, he's a, he's a guy, he, he helped develop Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, helped develop Brock Purdy in San Francisco or Wes Phillips, who's the OC in Minnesota now. Uh, just some guys who, who have had more success with quarterbacks. That was my initial thought. But, but I've spent the last you know, week and a half or so diving into the film and really kind of doing a bunch of breakdowns. And I just finished one on, this, on the uh, passing game in Atlanta with Arthur Smith. And I can tell you this, 
the more I watch, the more encouraged I am. <clears throat> the more I see a guy who, A, is a master in the run game and really knows how to craft a great run game. And that fits who the Steelers are and who they want to be. It fits what their strengths are. I, I anybody who who I think anybody who wanted like a Cliff Kingsbury to come in as Pittsburgh's offensive coordinator and turn this into an air raid team uh, is just yeah, that's some pie in the sky stuff, man. That's not who the Steelers are. It's not who they want to be. That's not who they're built to be. So they so they brought in a guy whose strength marries up with Pittsburgh's strength. And then you get to the big weakness, the passing game, and specifically the quarterback. And you say, how's he going to make him better? Well, my biggest criticism of the structure of Pittsburgh's passing game the past the last two years is that it wasn't quarterback friendly. They didn't give Kenny Pickett a lot of simple read progressions. There was a lot of really slow developing, long developing stuff. Uh, there were like mirrored route concepts, which are just basically like one read and you're going to get like an A or a B. But if you if, if neither one's there, you got to move your eyes and your head and your feet all the way to the opposite side of the field to get to, to the next part of the progression. Uh, and and so you, you wanted somebody who could structure the passing game in a way that made it simpler on the quarterback. And as I've been watching Arthur Smith, I that's what you see, man. You see him do a great job at creating, this is going to sound like kind of goofy, but creating triangles in the passing game. It is a, uh, it, you know, he structures his route concepts <clears throat> to build these triangular reads for the quarterback, which basically do two things. They they help isolate defenders by putting kind of like a two-on-one uh, against a defender in one part of the field, whereby the defender's got to uh, defend two receivers in a relatively small part of the field, make it hard on the defender. And two, it, it allows for routes to develop at different levels but all within the same sort of uh, framework so that the quarterback doesn't have to move his eyes. I mean, he can see all three routes developing. And so he can, he can keep his head straight uh, and, 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 you know, just simply has to kind of reorient his feet subtly. And if he wants to move from one progression to the next, and, and that allows a quarterback to, to think faster, progress faster. So, so really the structure of this passing game is very user-friendly. And I think it's one that uh, should give Kenny Pickett a chance to be successful. Now, it didn't work out great with Desmond Ritter. And, and that, I mean, the more I look at it, the more I think that that's an indictment of Desmond Ritter and not necessarily of the, of the passing game. So if Kenny Pickett can't do it in this offense, then I think he'll struggle to do it in the NFL in general. So, Kevin, I want to go ahead and ask you here about this. There's a lot of talk right now about bringing in a pass game coordinator and the Steelers have not had one in my time that I know of. And if they have, I wasn't aware. I've known of the Steelers having quarterback coaches and they're going to continue to have a quarterback coach. Where does the pass game coordinator come in? And there's some, there's some candidates right now. And this hot list right now includes a guy, three guys that I've seen. Now there's a lot of people be, being rumored that, you know, you should go after this guy. You should go after Byron Leftwich, Pep Hamilton, Frank Reich. You know, there's, there's people like that. Uh, Luke Getz, was on the list, but he's now taken a, taken a job in uh, Las Vegas. Charles London's a name that is actually on a list that's uh, on the short list. 
and he is serving that role right now in Tennessee. He's done some great things with Will Levis. He worked with Smith in Atlanta for games as a pass game coordinator. But with all that being said, how much stock should we put in on a pass game coordinator helping Arthur Smith and being an asset for the Steelers? Yeah, I don't know if Arthur Smith wants one. I don't know if the Steelers want to open up their checkbook to hire one. If they do, I would absolutely 100% put in a call to Frank Reich because of the way in which his passing game marries up with Arthur Smith's passing game. Both of those guys, I was just talking about triangles, right? We're talking <laughs> we're talking geometry here. Uh, uh, but I, but that's, that's, a, uh, that's Frank Reich's passing game. They have similarly structured passing games. What Frank Reich was doing in Indianapolis with Philip Rivers was a lot like what Arthur Smith was doing in Tennessee uh, with Ryan Tannehill. I mean, I, I think those guys would complement each other well. I think that there are two, two coaches uh, who neither one of them is known to have a big ego. They're both known to be guys that uh, you know are, are team players and work well. And, and I think that they have a similar style. I mean, Frank Reich wants to throw the ball more than Arthur Smith does. But hey, if you're the passing game coordinator, you better want to throw the ball. That's your that's your job. So if if they go that direction, I think that that would be a nice marriage. Now I don't know much about Charles London, uh, other, but I do know of the connection that that those two have. So maybe that's a name too, where there's some familiarity, and Smith would feel like you know their their ideas already marry up. It, it would be interesting to see if they if the Steelers want to go that route. I mean, if you're Pittsburgh, why not? Why not try something new? Why not try something you haven't done before? Uh, I think they made a, uh, I think they probably hired the best offensive coordinator on the market. And, and now, man, you, you know, you, you say, all right, we got a, we got a guy who, who has had a lot of success and he knows what he's doing. How can we, how can we take that to the next step? And you may want to now explore something a little unconventional, at least for the Steelers. When you look at this, there's something that I look at. I look at a guy that had the similar job. I don't look at the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons as much as I look at the offensive coordinator for a very potent Tennessee Titans team that included Ryan Tannehill that was not a superstar before he went to Tennessee and studied under this man right here. Yeah, Tannehill played his best ball of his career under Arthur Smith. Uh, I mean, the Titans were not only just good running the ball, they finished... They finished uh, second and third in Smith's two years as the OC in Tennessee in, in rushing yards. But they also finished first and second in red zone touchdown percentage. They finished uh, fifth and ninth in offensive DVOA. I think DVOA is a really important and useful statistic because it measures the success of all of your plays over the course of a season. But, but it, it uses criteria such as uh, opponent strength, uh, weather conditions, the score of the game at the time to, to sort of figure that in to, to try to see how effective you are. I mean, if, if a team throws for 375 yards, but 300 of them come after they've fallen behind 28 to nothing, you can't get, you can't get a fair assessment of their passing game simply because of the way that the defense has sort of changed its structure. So DVOA accounts for those things. And, and when you look at Arthur Smith's uh, seasons as offensive coordinator in both Tennessee and Atlanta, they've, he's got three top 10 finishes in DVOA 
out of five seasons. And what, what does that tell you? It tells you it's not just the run game that has, has been effective. He's been able to marry that up with a pretty good passing game. Now, granted, that didn't show up in Atlanta, um, but it showed up in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. And like you said, he wasn't great when he came to Tennessee from Miami. And there's a lot of similarities between Ryan Tannehill and Kenny Pickett. If Kenny Pickett could be for the Steelers offense in 2024, what Ryan Tannehill was for Tennessee's in 2019-2020, the Steelers are in good shape. Absolutely, and I, I can't wait to see that. Now, we know that Kenny Pickett should benefit from Arthur Smith, even though there are some naysayers that say this is just a running coach and he doesn't pass the football. But that is one of the biggest misconceptions of this whole thing. Of course, the running backs, especially Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, are going to benefit from this as well. Who, as the receivers do you feel benefit the most because of this hire? Well, if he can stay healthy, I think it's Pat Fryermuth. He's I know he's not a receiver, but but with all the the multiple tight end stuff that Smith runs and and how how much production he's gotten out of tight ends in his uh time as a, as a play caller, I th- I just think that Fryermuth is the guy who is really going to see at least his targets take off. I mean, last year Atlanta targeted the tight ends 116 times 116 targets to their tight ends last year pittsburgh targeted their tight ends just 63 times so i mean we're talking about almost twice as many targets for the tight ends in atlanta as in pittsburgh last year um you know nobody used 12 personnel two tight ends more than arthur smith and you look at pittsburgh's tight end room and you see pat fryermuth a guy who obviously he's had his injuries and he, and he struggled at times to stay on the field. But it just feels at times as though he's been underutilized. And I think that you know, with, with all the play action, all the bootlegs, all the, uh, all the opportunities that, that Smith creates for tight ends in various areas of the field, in the flats, running corner routes, attacking the middle of the field, et cetera, it, it's just something that, I mean, it feels like Fryermuth. Uh, Connor Hayward is another guy who I think his versatility is going to be huge. Smith will use him as a real fullback. Smith loves having a traditional fullback in there. I think he'll use Connor Hayward as a tradi- traditional fullback, but then also as a guy he can kind of motion all over the field. And you may see Darnell Washington finally get targeted. I mean, I, I just thought that the fact that the Steelers didn't throw him a single pass in the red zone this year, this year, uh, or I'm sorry, into the end zone this year, I thought was criminal. So it just feels as though, that group, that tight end group in Pittsburgh is really going to be put to use. That was my next question. And my question was, who benefits more from this, Connor Hayward or Mr. Washington? So now I'm thinking that seems like they both benefit from it. If you're going to see him in a H-back type look or as a traditional fullback, so I think that's that's absolutely amazing. They might both be looking really good here. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that there's a lot more to Washington's game than we saw uh, his rookie season. I think Hayward's versatility makes him a candidate for a lot of those roles. I think you might see an expanded use of two-back sets with Jalen Warren lined up as, an act- as a real fullback. Uh, and, you know, he may, again, motion out of the backfield and, my gosh, Jalen Warren's versatile enough that you could line him up as a fullback, run an old school power play and have him kick out the defensive end because we all know that he blocks like a Mack truck uh, 
And then you could split them out like a wide receiver and bring them in jet motion, hand them the ball on a jet sweep. I mean, that's how versatile that, that, that young man is. So I think that Smith, again, a guy who loves to take big pieces, move them around the field to create the best mismatches that he can, will we'll have a field day with Hayward and, and Warren. This is a quick question. I talked about the misconceptions. It seems to me that this man's offense, Arthur Smith, seems to be a whole lot more innovative than anybody's giving him credit for. Uh, it's it's way more creative than what we've seen in Pittsburgh the last couple of years. In the in the video of uh, the, the the film game break, breakdown that I just finished, that's going to be up today on our on our SCN YouTube channel. Um, I there. He got to he got to the same route concept about seven different ways as I was breaking down the film and putting that in there. And I kept looking at it and saying, man, he he's running all these different versions of the, the sale. Sale is a, is a pretty simple concept. A lot of NFL fans will recognize it as flood, where you're basically like flooding one one uh, third of the field with three different routes, a, a low route, an intermediate route and a high route. And I mean, he got to the sale route in every way that you could possibly think of. And for me, that that's what good coaching is. Good coaching isn't having 70 different plays. I, I talk to coaches all the time and they're like, we got 70 plays in our playbook book. And, and, I, and I never, I never say it. I try not to be rude, but what I want to say is like, well, how many of them can you possibly run well? Because, you know, putting in entirely new plays is hard on, on people, but finding new ways to run the same plays from different looks that, that, that disguise them and make it hard on the defense. That's really good coaching. And when you watch Smith's passing game in uh, Atlanta, it's it's them getting to the sale route from every like every possible formation and motion you could think of. Whereas you look at Pittsburgh's offense last year, and opposing defenders would say this all the time. They'd say, "Yeah, when the Steelers lined up in that formation, we knew exactly what was coming because they get into certain formations to run certain plays." And Atlanta approaches it like you know, from the, almost from the opposite perspective that, that they're going to like use multiple ways to run the same play, as opposed to like, you know, one play out of this formation, one play out of that formation. It just felt like the Steelers were picking plays off a menu. Whereas the Falcons have a system uh, that they're, that they're using with it, with a plan in place as to how best to execute it. One final question. And it's this. A friend of mine texted me. He is one of those Steelers fans that is very pessimistic. And he said, I just don't understand how this is going to work. And he already hit the misconception with the running thing. He says, but now this is a running coach. How's this going to work with two diva wide receivers, which I disagree calling these guys divas, but with guys that want the ball all the time, like Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. So with that being said, does this offense benefit them as well? Well, that's actually, I think, a great question because when you look at Atlanta with all those targets to the tight ends, obviously that comes at the detriment of somebody. And for the Falcons, it was the wide receiver group. Now that Drake London, who's a heck of a player, Oh, and and who reminds me in, in many ways of George Pickens. I think George Pickens could stand to really benefit from this. Again, all that play action, uh, you get aggressive safeties, and now Pickens over the top. I mean, he might he might see his yards per catch average really increase because 
Uh, Smith's not afraid to attack down the field. He's not afraid to attack in the middle of the field. Those are two things we didn't see the Steelers do very often in the last few years. Deontay Johnson, I don't know, man. I mean, you the, you don't see a whole lot of like 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 possession receiver type stuff. I mean, there's not a lot of catch and throw, quick little timing routes. Uh, some of the stuff that Johnson is really really good at. Atlanta didn't do a lot of that the last couple of years. Now, maybe it's because they didn't have a receiver like Johnson. Johnson's a pretty unique guy in his ability to get in and out of breaks quick and find open space in the underneath routes. So you may see Smith say, hey, I, I got this piece, so let's use it. I, I saw the interview he did with Missy Matthews, and he talked about how everywhere he goes, one of the first things he wants to know is, like, what's my best skill set and how do I adapt the offense to the skill set on hand? So he's not a guy – who's just going to basically say, hey, man, you know, my offense is this is this round hole and I'm going to smash these square pegs into it. Uh, he seems to be a guy willing to adapt, but it'll be interesting to see if he can accommodate both Pickens and Johnson. I'm right now, I'm more likely to say Pickens from what I've seen of Smith's offense. Pickens is a little more of a natural fit. Johnson will have to be accommodated based on how Smith, you know, structures his offense. Now. For those naysayers, this actually supports that. When I look at the targets for the Atlanta Falcons for 2023, Drake London has 110 targets, and that actually benefits George Pickens there. No problem saying that. The next one has 90 targets. It's a tight end, Kyle Pitts. Yep. The next one is a tight end with 70 targets. And then the next one, is a running back, Bijan Robinson, with 86 targets. Then your next wide receiver is next. It's Matt Collins with 30 targets. Right. 200, 251 yards, though. But when you're talking about the average per reception, this is something we haven't seen in Pittsburgh a lot because London had 13.1. You have a tight end in Pitts that had 12.6. John o. Smith had 11.6. Bijan Robinson, the running back, had 8.4, and Matt Collins, who only had 30 targets, but had 251 yards, 13.9. The next wide receiver was 16.6 with 23 targets, and that was Kaderil Hodge. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but that shows you that even though not all the wide receivers have a lot of targets, their yards per catch, pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, and that's right. That speaks to their uh, willingness to push the ball downfield, the play action game, the boot game, trying to ex create explosives off of the run game. But yeah, right there, you you know, you you just said it. The number of targets, the disparity between their number one wide receiver and their number two wide receiver is huge. Will the Steelers? I mean, you know, if there was 120 targets divided up amongst those two wide receivers in Pittsburgh, will it be more of? 60-60, it was 90-30 in Atlanta. Will it be more 60-60 between Pickens and Johnson? You'd have to think it would be something like that. But but even then, I mean, th these are two guys that are used to, to, to getting many more targets than that. So how he keeps everybody happy with the way that he disperses the football will probably be a challenge. All right. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I love it. Any final thoughts on Arthur Smith in Pittsburgh? Well, I just I think we know uh, who the dude of the week's going to be. Isn't that correct? Yeah, it, it's got to be. I'll let you announce it. We talked about this beforehand. I kind of agree. 
Yeah, well, it's got to be Arthur Smith, man. It's got to be his welcome to Pittsburgh due to the week. And I would, again, I just say to Steeler fans, when you watch this offense, it is put together so much better than the ones we've seen over the last few years. And that goes back to Randy Feekner. Uh, it is a much more professional approach to offensive football. And, and it's more of a system than we've seen in, in, in Pittsburgh for the last couple of years. Is it concerning that Desmond Ritter did not exactly like the world on fire? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that, that should be a concern, but so many of the other things that you see from Arthur Smith are encouraging so much so that, you know, I'm, I'm, I get more excited the more I watch of it. And, and if I can talk myself into, you know, Kenny Pickett playing solid football for the Steelers, then I think that they got the chance to be pretty darn good on offense. I think one thing that we all forget about Desmond Ritter, where he was not a quarterback that was picked very high either. We, we kind of forget about that. He was the 74th pick in the 2022 NFL draft. Yeah, and Desmond Ritter, when he was at Cincinnati, and again, I'm not trying to throw shade on the young man, but uh, he he really struggled against Alabama in the in the playoff game when Cincinnati made the made the uh, the playoffs that one year. They had that that strong regular season, and and a lot of scouts said that a weakness of his in that game appeared to be an inability to read NFL level coverages because he was up against Nick Saban, who runs basically he's like it's like being against a pro coach. Uh, and so the question was, would would Ritter ever evolve beyond that? Would he ever be able to read an NFL defense? And so, I, again, with, based upon how user-friendly I think that Smith's passing game is and the struggles Ritter had there, I think it's a legitimate question now as to whether or not Ritter really is ever going to be able to do so. Absolutely. It is time to get on out of here, Kevin. I like the dude of the week. I love everything you had to say. But I got to ask you this. We do have a Super Bowl coming up next week. You got throwing a pick. Who is your gut saying wins this game? I'm terrible at picking games. Uh, I, I, but I do kind of think Kansas City will win. They just seem to have a like, a, like they're doing enough to win. Uh, San Francisco has been at home for two weeks in which they've played inexperienced teams in Green Bay and Detroit, they've been outplayed in both of those games, and they've really needed to rally at the very end to pull those things out. And I just don't think you can get away with that against a team like Kansas City. So I think Kansas City's playing their best football of the year right now, and I think that's what it takes to win the Super Bowl. I'm not looking at a spread here, but if I'm going to go ahead and put money on a team straight up, I'm actually going to go with San Francisco here. Mm, okay. So I think let's go back to trading places. We'll make the trading places one dollar <laughs> you with me mortimer uh i'm with you randolph <laughs> <laughs> you got it and we did not plan that i love it all right for kevin smith my name is brian anthony davis this is here we go the steelers show courtesy of the steel curtain network and fans first sports network make sure you check out all of these shows i hope you had a chance to check out another great let's ride this morning another hangover is coming up tonight you're probably wondering, what are you talking about? Yes, we are at our new time, which is at noon on Mondays going forward. Bad language will be heard tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. So we did the old switcheroo. So for Kevin, I'm bad. Keep your feet on the ground. Keep reaching for those hypocycloids. <laughs> <laughs>